You're listening to Programme 3 of the Norvision Podcast, recorded to leave an oral history legacy of the journey of the Norvision Project. KCLR. In the last programme, we focused on one aspect of the citizen science strand of the Norvision Project, which involved sampling the water to see how clean it is. An important part of this process is cleaning the equipment that's used for biosecurity reasons to prevent the spread of invasive species. Invasive species monitoring and control is the subject of this programme and the first one we meet is the crayfish plague. So unfortunately in the River Noor we have what's known as the crayfish plague and that's a a water mould. It's a pathogen that um, kills one of our most important native species, the white-clawed crayfish. And unfortunately, if it gets into an area, it kills all animals that it infects. So it has 100% mortality. So it's terrible. And that's been introduced, um, that's been introduced to us from, from abroad. So it's, it's obviously not native to this country and our own crayfish have zero resistance to it whatsoever and we do know that we do have it in the river north so what's incredibly important once you've been in a stream or in a river is to disinfect your equipment. This is Amanda Greer, an ecologist working with the ecological consultancy company Envirico. Amanda is involved in the training around invasive species identification with the Norvision project. The process of cleaning anything that has been in the river is a part of this training. So this isn't hard to do. If you can see what we have here today, I have a five litre water bottle, half full to make it a bit lighter to to carry. I have a tub, but a bucket, anything at all that you can step into will do absolutely fine. I have a brush and I have some Milton and that's all I need. So I'm going to mix up some sterilizing fluid now just mix it to the appropriate concentration that it says on the bottle and then I'm going to take a brush and we're going to clean our boots and the net and the tray anything at all that's been in contact with the water and then we let them dry completely before we go to any other river system I couldn't overemphasize the importance of this enough (laughs) I'd say that's really important yeah Yeah, it really is Um, for anyone using the river you know as they're using it as an amenity you know, kayaking, fishing, if you're walking down with the river and you go paddling in it, um, swimming in one area, just just to what we call, the process is called check, clean, dry. So it's a mould, is it? It's not, um, it's not actually an animal. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a water mould, it's a type of fungus actually. Fungus. So it gets on there, um, it, it enters through soft parts of the shell and in, in effects then it spreads out m- much as, you know, you would see kind of the, the stretching tendrils of a... So you couldn't see it, you'd only see it under a microscope, would you? You'd only see it under a microscope, but you would see the signs of it because you'd see um, either crayfish acting strangely. So crayfish are nocturnal. If you see them out during the day, probably most people have never seen one. They're, they're not the kind of thing that you, that you normally that you normally see and I spend a lot of time in the rivers. Um, but if you see them out during the day, that's a very bad sign. Um, you would report that to NPWS straight away if you did see something like that or inland fisheries. And the other sign would be, unfortunately, lots of dead crayfish, particularly just lying turned upside down on the bottom of the, the riverbed. What does the crayfish look like? 
Um, gosh, so it looks like a small lobster or any animal like that, really. Yeah, looks like they're, they're very small, so they're not something that you're going to want to have for your dinner. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it does look like a, a much smaller version of, of, of something you might pay a lot of money for in a fancy restaurant. <laughs> for the net, you just need to make sure it all gets the disinfectant onto it so that everywhere that was in contact with the water gets the covering off the disinfectant and you leave you can leave it then um for at least 20 minutes before you would rinse it off yeah to be honest with you for these i, I wouldn't rinse them i just let them let them dry anyway that the disinfecting yeah. solution sterilizing solution isn't going to damage it but for some people might have you know more sensitive gear that they might be worried it would cause a perishing effect on it. So then you'd leave it for 20 minutes at least and then you can rinse it and dry dry the equipment thoroughly. And listen, why does the crayfish come out in the morning then when it shouldn't be in the morning? Does it affect its biological rhythms or something? It affects the the behaviour. So it gets in and it it starts to damage the the brain, the central nervous system of the animals. So they start behaving in any kind of a way. There's no, no protective effects anymore. Yeah. Their instincts are gone haywire yeah gone haywire exactly yeah so you're washing the rinsing out the tray now and washing yeah. that and give everything everything a rinse are you washing your doing your boots now doing the boots very important Better get mine done as well yeah. i better wash mine i'll just put yeah. my stuff down My wellies get well washed and dried and a few days later I arranged to meet Pat Boyd, river lover and nature activist who is similarly concerned about crayfish plague. Yeah, crayfish plague. That's the latest one. Biological security now is is something we all have to think about for for river users, so check clean and dry. I meet him by the river in Kilkenny City. We're at what's called the Town Pond on the River Nore here in Kilkenny and it's called the Town Pond... um, in fishermen's local language. So this was always a, a good salmon fishing stand. And um, just further up, the salmon would uh, jump the weir, they'd navigate the weir, and they'd stand above the weir before they'd move on upriver. Mm-hmm. And some of the bigger fish, or indeed the winter fish then, would fall back into this corner of the pond to rest, maybe for the full summer, right, until spawning uh, time, or, or or until the next flood to go back uh, down to the sea. Pat is chair of the Keep Kilkenny Beautiful Committee and recently he was awarded Kilkenny's Biodiversity Champion of 2021. Biodiversity and I think uh, nature uh, and COVID has really kind of made everyone aware of the positive, the really positive impact that biodiversity and nature have on our lives and uh, It's just so important that people have access to nature and access to good quality nature and good quality biodiversity, you know, where where there's an abundance of wildlife. Pat and the Keep Kilkenny Beautiful team have partnered with the Norvision Project to assist with the litter picks and to provide volunteers to take part in the water quality monitoring and invasive species monitoring along the Nor catchment. Invasive species are a huge threat. Invasive species are the second biggest cause of biodiversity loss in the world. 
According to Pat's experiences, the influx of invasive species on the River Nore began with mink. The first one I would have encountered would have been in 1978 when the mink turned up on the river. And the mink is a North American animal farmed for fur. But there was releases back in 1978 for one reason or another and they ended up, they just go right through the system. And, and what they done was they just changed the river overnight because every bush, every sally grown on the side of the river used to have a nest for a water hen. Like I remember walking along the river and like, you know, when you walk beside the river, your mind tends to go someplace else. You go into a world of your own until you pass a sally bush and up gets the water hen or two and just frighten the daylights out of you like you know and 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 that used to be every second sally bush on the side of the river there'd be water hen and not alone that but like around the water's edge there you'd see um there'd always be water rats now they're they're, they were harmless the the drowsy water rats and they're gone as well so they really they cleaned out the they cleaned out the river of an awful lot of uh, native animals. Are they still around now, the mink? Or how, yeah, no, how mink, have, mink have naturalised, right? And their populations are stable. Okay. And uh, so any place where there was of an, an opportunity or is an opportunity, they, they, they will have found that by now and their populations will have um, settled in those areas. And how Pat and others who care about the river must wish that the invasive plant that is Himalayan balsam could arrive at a similar peace deal in relation to their proliferative growth along the river. One of the plants that poses the biggest threat to the Nor River catchment is Himalayan balsam and uh, it loves damp ground. It will grow and it will thrive at the expense of all our own native species. It's an annual plant, so it dies away every October. But in the summer when it's growing, right, it can grow to be six or seven feet. And like it's so prolific, it, it forms a canopy over the river bank or wherever it's grown. And so over a couple of years, what would have been grown in that river bank, where there's Himalayan balsam, it won't exist anymore. So the bank is no longer bound by the roots of the perennial native plants. And uh, the Himalayan balsam that dies back in the winter leaves the bank exposed and prone to erosion. And that then in turn, when you have big floods, that, that impacts on the strata of the riverbed where the fish spawn. So it degrades the river habitat both in the water on the riverbed but also it forms monocultures in the riparian environment. So like when it gets into an environment and it's allowed to proliferate, after a number of years, there's nothing else will, will grow. Will be, you, you'll find nothing else growing in that environment, only Himalayan balsam. The only way to control Himalayan balsam is to pull it up before it seeds. And Pat has led balsam bashing walks over the years in an effort to remove them from the river area. You lift it more than pull it. It's not like ragwort where you have to pull and drag and put your body weight behind it. You just lift it and it comes up. So that's possibly it's one of its redeeming features. So yeah, we start uh, our Tidy Towns management um, programme at the end of May and we manage about 24 kilometres of riverbank up and down of the city and on the tributaries and we you know make our program bigger every year that sort of decreases the mother load of seed that's getting into the system and makes other areas downstream and upstream more manageable mm. so 
and um, Norwegian then have been running uh, uh, training as well uh, and, and a lot of people have availed of that so that's meant that not just in Kilkenny where, where tidy towns have been managing Himalayan balsam for five or six years but now we have volunteers up and down through the catchment surveying for it but also lifting it and managing it then as well. Amanda Greer, ecologist with Envirico, is leading the training in Himalayan balsam identification and control for the Norvision project. So part of the Norvision has been getting um, volunteers and demonstrating to them how to actually carry out this, this work and then clearing areas along the Nor catchment. Yeah. And furthermore, we'll be doing a bit more training now, which will be showing people how to actually carry out walkover surveys. And the hope is that eventually the volunteers will be able to survey a large or most hopefully of the, the Nor catchment if we can get enough people involved and getting us people trained up. It's not rocket science, you know, you're looking for one species. It's just a matter of getting the techniques right and being able to collate it into a central map. And then once we have a better map and a better understanding, we'll be able to target efforts and volunteers will be able to target their treatment efforts to make a big difference along the, the whole River Nore. And this is a pretty flower and everything, isn't it? It's beautiful. People used to plant it. it it's gorgeous. Like it, it looks a bit like an orchid, to be honest. I, I always think it has these lovely um, nectar-filled bonnet-shaped flowers, which makes it sound like a wonderful addition to the environment, but it's anything but. It absolutely takes over huge areas incredibly quickly. And in this instance, the roots of that species are so um, small and insignificant that it really does destabilize the riverbank. And there's another impact with Himalayan balsam as well, which makes it um, such a threat, which is because it has these beautiful nectar-filled flowers and the bees love it, they do love it, seems like an advantage but unfortunately what actually happens is pollinator theft that's what we call oh, it that's a new one on me pollinator theft so it's taking the pollinators away from our own native species and they're now pollinating the himalayan balsam oh, preferentially that's the, prettier, that's the new woman on the scene exactly <laughs> <laughs> it has these it has these big nectar repositories so so the flowers are full of nectar and the bees love it they get this great reward for going to this flower but unfortunately then our own species suffer because they're not getting the pollinators. So there are huge knock-on impacts for all of these species. You know, it's not just the destabilizing of the riverbank. These invasive species can be controlled, but they do require a plan and they do require the plan to be followed, you know, in a catchment sense. It goes back to the whole catchment thinking, you know, like a water quality, you know, you can't resolve water quality in one area especially if the issues are outside of that particular area. You have to look at the, the overall picture. This is Fran Igo. He is the Southern Regional Coordinator for the Local Authority's Water Programme, LawPro for short. We're a shared service of the local authorities, so we would do a lot of work, obviously, with the local authorities on the ground, the various sections, and then we would also work very closely with all of the other agencies that either have a role with water, water management or water um, you know, protection, or also any activity that might impact on water as well. And in addition to that, we would also work closely with the public and with communities. So we have two um, strands. One section is primarily focused on the community work, 
and the other section is on the science, what's called catchment science. With a shared interest in the river and the quality of water and habitat protection, LawPro and Leader have been collaborating on the Norvision project. Kilkenny Leader have been very proactive around water and have done, I know they've done projects in the past uh, on the River Nore. So we were approached by Kilkenny Leader and uh, Declan Rice, the CEO in particular, for discussions around you know what could be done on the River Nore to try and improve not just the water quality, but to, to look at the catchment in a more broad sense, because at the end of the day, there's a whole range of benefits, multiple benefits that the River Nore does and can provide. So the Kilkenny leader with the other leader companies uh, pulled together a committee which involved a number of different stakeholders, including some of the state, state agencies. So a, a few years ago, you know, we would have participated within that process. And that became then uh, the Nor Vision. So uh, funding was acquired and through the leader program, substantial funding to try and get a you know a catchment initiative going. And so we are providing some funding as match funding to try and support that process. And our particular areas of interest would be the citizen science element, uh, looking at uh, water quality using uh, water, insects, aquatic macroinvertebrates and also on the invasive species side as well. That's another area that we have a particular interest in. The Citizen Science Water Quality Monitoring, as discussed in the last programme, is a wonderful community engagement initiative that Fran can see brings huge benefits for the river. Like if you think about it, the River Nore is a fantastic salmon river. Historically, it was one of the most important salmon rivers in, in Western Europe. And the only way that it can sustain salmon is to have that really good, clean water condition. That's one element of the citizen science that's really important because it disengages people and helps people understand what's going on. And the other side of it is that it actually helps enhance the knowledge of what's going on, for example, in the River North. And it's good fun. People enjoy it. So that's, that's arguably a third element. That's a great social thing as well. But there's also other, you know, there's data coming out of it too, which is really useful. The training, mapping and data that will come from the invasive species monitoring will also be very useful. Invasive species being, as Pat Boyd already mentioned, the second biggest factor in biodiversity loss worldwide. Any species that goes out of control arguably is invasive. But we do have some species which about 100 years ago they were imported as ornamental plants and they've escaped from their the gardens or wherever they were brought in. And a good example of those would be the Japanese knotweed, which people might be familiar with. But also you have the what's called the giant hogweed, which is a very dangerous plant. The sap of the plant, if it gets in your skin, can cause a very nasty burn it's, and, and it reacts to sunlight. So it's a, it's a very dangerous plant and very dangerous for children. And then the other plant that would be very common on the, on the River Nore would be the, the Himalayan balsam, which is a pretty flower. Some beekeepers like it because, it cre- you know, the bees, there's loads of flowers for bees. The Himalayan balsam and the giant hogweed produce an awful lot of seeds. And those seeds will float on water and then it will colonize a stretch river very, very quickly. And the Himalayan Balsman is an annual. The giant hogweed is a, a perennial, but it, you know, it shoots off these big, massive, big white flowers like the native hogweed, but much, much bigger. I mean, grows to about 12 foot, fairly dramatic plant and uh, shoots off these flowers, which give off literally hundreds of thousands of seeds. If you add up all the seed heads and for one plant, right, which is very significant. And then the plant dies down in the wintertime. But what happens then is it has shaded out the vegetation around where the plant is growing. And the same for Himalayan balsam. So when it dies back, you're left with exposed soil. 
So that then leads to river erosion and it can lead to soil, you know, silt getting into the river. And, and that could impact on, on fish spawning, for example. You know, so when, if you get too much silt in the river, the silt will clog up the gravels where the eggs are laid and not enough oxygen gets down to the eggs. Therefore, the, the eggs will starve of oxygen and they'll die. And also on the on the River Nore, you also have the freshwater pearl mussel in some locations. So again, if you have, if you have too much silt coming into the river, that'll kill the pearl mussels because again, they live in the bed of the river and they need very um, very clean water quality and, and, and clean riverbeds. The, the Japanese knotweed, what it does is it just keeps expanding and again, it just takes over space. So it becomes a problem. And then eventually they start to fall in the, and then the banks will fall in. So they are, all three plants would destabilize the river. Now, I just talked about invasive plants. I mean, there are invasive animals as well. For example, the American mink would be a problem. They, you know, they eat, you know, fish and birds and all that. And it will compete with otters, which would be native and we would consider good because the otters are in balance with the river. Um, and other species within the water, uh, you have um, dace, which is an invasive uh, fish. It's a, it's a, it's related, loosely related to a goldfish. So again, they've expanded the river north. So that's something that's undesirable because they would have compete with brown trout, for example, for food. And then down in the estuary, and where the the, the north meets the barrow and the shore, uh, there's an invasive crab called the Chinese mitten crab. So you know, we would argue that. If you want to, you know, protect the river, look after the river, you know, it is a special area of conservation as well, of course, for nature. Um, it's important to try and control and manage those. An example of this management and control can be seen by the River Brega at the Waterbury's Kilkenny, as Amanda Greer and myself stand before a big clump of Japanese knotweed. We have a couple of patches of an unwanted species, which is Japanese knotweed. Now, thankfully, it's under control by the by Kilkenny County Council at the moment, so it is being treated with herbicide. And you can see here they have a fence in place and they have signs saying Japanese knotweed do not cut. So they are aware of it and they are keeping it under control. Tell us a bit about its nature and how it grows. So Japanese knotweed is probably one of the best known invasive species because it grows so strongly that it can actually damage the structural integrity of built objects. So houses, foundations, walls, bridges, roads, all of these things. It, it grows incredibly quickly. It, it's incredible, actually. So you could, you could be standing here and if this was not under herbicide treatment, you'd be standing here today and you maybe see some small shoots looking a bit like asparagus coming up out of the ground. And then you could come back here in four weeks time and you would be looking at a metre and a half high. And in another three weeks, four weeks time, you could be looking at something three metres tall. Mm. And all of that is actually grown with inside of one year. So every year this plant grows up to three metres high, massive canes. They look a bit like bamboo canes. And then all of that green vegetation dies back completely every year. And it leaves what we're looking at now, which are these brown dead canes. Mm. But it doesn't mean that's what under the ground mm. is dead. Because under the ground there's a lot of action going on. I'd there's say. an awful lot of action going on under the ground, which is the problem. It's a bit like an iceberg. So how does it? How is it killed, or how do they go about treating it? Well, there are a number of ways. Um, the, the 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 most preferred way 
even though it's a bit counterintuitive. The preferred way to treat it and the most environmentally friendly way is actually with herbicides. And the reason for that is because the other ways it all involve digging it out. And as soon as you go doing that, you're creating a bigger environmental hazard than you would be if you spot treat it with herbicides. So mm. being careful, like this area here, because it's by a stream, the preferred method would be stem injection. So actually getting a neat herbicide or diluted, depending on the, the product that's used, um, and injecting it directly into the stem between the first and second nodes so that you don't get any drift onto the water or the um, surrounding environment. Right. They can take over huge areas of the riverbank extremely quickly. Okay. And it does that by growing so fast that it shades out all of our own vegetation and it's such an aggressive species. It takes up so many nutrients that it just outcompetes the vast majority of our native species. Okay. Japanese knotweed's original habitat is on volcanoes in Japan where there are natural constraints on their growth. In Ireland, they have found a utopian space and our own native species can't get a look in. This is a feature of invasive species. Worldwide, invasive alien species are actually the second biggest driver of species extinctions. So the first is habitat loss, but invasive alien species are the second biggest. And there's, you know, there's, that's the reason for that, essentially, is they are so efficient. For anything, it's not in its favour, ultimately, to kind of run out of control and to, to, to burn, up its, burn up the space that it's living in. Um, you know, is there a check? Can there be a check ultimately at the end of the day for for the likes of Japanese hogweed and Himalayan balsam if there was no interference? Um, yes, in that everything when it uses up its resources, and I'm I'm tempted to think of humanity here at the moment, to be honest, Monica. Um, but anything when it uses up its resources will come to a natural a natural check and will decrease in its numbers. You know, if a predator becomes too uh, populous it won't have enough prey to support it so so that can happen but it's not something we want to allow because in the meantime it would have caused such an amount of destruction and damage to our own native species that they'd never be able to recover or you know once once you've allowed it to get that far out of hand there's no coming back from that So if you want to do your bit to prevent the loss of our wonderful species along the rivers and streams, then you can help by pulling up Himalayan balsam, the number one problem in the Nor catchment. We have already given a number of the volunteers training on how to do actual mapping on a professional piece of software and so they'll be able to up, keep updating that map and then feeding back information to people in certain areas saying, look, this stream is very badly infested because you make that a priority and go out and tackle that. The the size of of the Nora catchment means that it's going to be a huge effort across lots of counties and across many, many, many volunteers in order to really make a difference. Just a word of caution from Pat Boyd though, as giant hogweed and Himalayan balsam grow in the same areas along the Nora and you don't want to get close to giant hogweed. It's very important for us to work with the National Parks and Wildlife in identifying and removing giant hogweed first because, you know, if we let volunteers start lifting and managing the Himalayan balsam and there's giant hogweed in the area, it is a public health issue. People have got uh, burns and had to have skin grafts uh, from, from giant it hogweed. Would it be that, that vicious, would it? Yeah, the burn would yeah, really, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a photosynthetic uh, burn. So that's the first one that we tackle every year. 
uh, then you know it's safe enough for volunteers to start um, tackling and managing the Himalayan balsam. And doing something so practical, such as pulling up the balsam, has so many benefits in so many levels, as Fran Igo outlines. If you think about it, just by people taking an interest and getting involved, it's it's deepening the appreciation of that river or whatever it is, a stream at the local community. And that's really important because at the end of the day, it gets people thinking about, okay, well, you know, you know, what is special about our area? You know, we can appreciate what's there. If there's a problem, well, then people start to get into that kind of problem solving mode. Okay, can we, you know, you know, can we figure out what, what we can do to try and help resolve the problem? They are very manageable. I worked on a project down in North Cork where we successfully um, controlled the Himalayan balsam over a 40 kilometre stretch of river and bank and drains, the connected areas. If it's done systematically, if enough people are involved, you can work at a strategy and you can, it is possible to control it. To find out more information on how you can become a river guardian, then check out norvision.ie. And if you're interested in their upcoming conference in a week's time, then check that out too. The Norvision Radio Series is funded by Kilkenny Leader Partnership CLG through the Department of Rural and Community Development and the EU.